Hey there, everyone. My name is Ian Shapiro, your host for Politics Explained. Uh, we're not going to get right to Trump tweets explained today. We're going to talk a little bit about Steve Bannon. Uh, and then I am going to head over to uh, the campus where I work, and I'm going to see if I can get some poll quotes from other political scientists and my peers uh, about what's going on in politics today. So maybe we'll get some interesting insights. So anyway, Steve Bannon is officially out as White House chief strategist. A lot of individuals uh, you know, immediately after hearing this news said, well, okay, Charlottesville occurs, white nationalists, white supremacists, neo-Nazis converge in Charlottesville, Virginia, and that's a lot of political pressure on Trump. And so he needs to drop Steve Bannon to distance himself from these movements, especially since in live interviews, these individuals say, yeah, Trump is emboldening us. He's finally speaking our language. Finally, an American politician is getting behind some of the things that we have been behind this entire time. Uh, however, it's more likely, according to sources from places like Washington Post, New York Times, a few other outlets, that it was actually the arrival of John F. Kelly, who you may know as General Kelly, the new White House Chief of Staff, who arrived last month after getting rid of Reince Priebus uh, for the current administration White House. I know a lot of names to keep track of. Anyway, reports suggest that in late July, right, not in August during Charlottesville, John F. Kelly, General Kelly Chief of Staff, told Steve Bannon that he was on the outs and that he was going to go. There was no need for the whole it to be messy. Uh, so Bannon's out. Trump clearly at this point puts a lot more stock in General Kelly, his chief of staff, than a lot of other individuals, maybe save for Jared and Ivanka, right? Family members. Blood's thicker than water and all that. So it looks as though Bannon is going to take up an, at the very least, honorary position back at Breitbart News, which is an online platform for the alt-right and pretty much a purveyor of skewed news uh, for the alt-right uh, American nationalist, white nationalist movements. The White House, all, and so here's some disconnect. Donald Trump in a few tweets said that he wishes Bannon the best, that he wants Breitbart uh, to be competition for quote, fake news, and that he believes that will happen. Uh, this is in contrast with Chief of Staff General Kelly, who is currently outraged at Mr. Bannon, at Steve Bannon. So Bannon gave a scathing interview of the Trump administration um, and their priorities with the American prospect, which is generally thought to be a more uh, progressive or liberal uh, news periodical. Now, Bannon will tell you that all he thought that all of this was off the record, but he sought out this interview, this discussion with an individual uh, <laughs> and never said that any of this was off the record. And Steve Bannon is a, you know, a pretty prominent member of the press, so it, it, it would be quite a jump in logic to believe that he wouldn't know when to say that something was or was not off the record. So Kelly and Trump administration are a little bit upset with Bannon because of that, but you wouldn't get that from just looking at Trump's Twitter account. Bannon has said some interesting things in statements uh, since the public announcement of his ouster. Uh, look, he said things along the lines of, look, this is, we thought this was our presidency. We fought hard and won it. 
but this is no longer our presidency. Probably talking to his base of readers, uh, alt-right, uh, individuals, things of that nature. So for me, what's left is to look at the polls, see what happens to Trump's approval ratings, especially among these groups of base supporters. Will Bannon's ouster hurt Trump with them, help Trump with more moderate Republicans? Only time will tell. And for telling of the time and other things, oh wow, really dropped the ball on that one. You're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. Hey everyone, this is Ian, your host for Politics Explained. Have you noticed that there is no getting away from two things in life? No, I'm not talking about death and taxes. I'm talking about politics and social media. Well, the two have a, well, a, a, a very tension-filled relationship, right? Uh, the internet gives us the ability to anonymously spout whatever political opinions we like, and our social media basically allow us to put ourselves into what I call homogenous cocoons of good feeling, which essentially means we only associate, friend, and follow viewpoints of people who we agree with, and we tend to not follow and dismiss uh, you know, those viewpoints that we find uh, distasteful or just go against the grain of our own belief systems. More concretely though, we can see this meshing between politics and social media with the way that political elites are trying to communicate their positions and what they're up to with you and I, you know, their constituents. Well, there's a lot of liberal and conservative members in Congress who have, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and we actually have data on the political leanings of the people who choose to follow these members and also we, of course, have voting data on the individual members themselves in Congress. And this leads us to a not-so-surprising finding. And that is, according to Pew Research, that the most liberal and most conservative members of our current Congress also attract more Facebook followers than their more moderate counterparts. In both the House of Representatives and the United States Senate, a member's ideological strength is a strong linear predictor of the number of people who follow them. The more liberal you are, the more liberal followers you're going to have, you know, uh, relative to a more moderate Democrat uh, legislator, same with conservatives and Republicans. So the next question you're probably asking yourself, and that I'm of course asking as I'm checking out this article, is which way does the causal error go, right? Why exactly are more ideological members of the House and Senate the ones with more followers relative to their more moderate counterparts? Well, one reason may be that these legislators are just more visible, in fact, more vocal on social media. Research shows that when individual members of Congress are more liberal or more conservative, they're also more likely to be frequent sharers of content and posts on social media sites like Facebook. So they're more likely to be loud and proud when they are talking about some issue or position that they're taking or whatever's going on in Congress nowadays. But then there's the other side of the coin. A lot of us are just disinterested in politics, so what would lead someone to actually follow one of these political elites on a social media site? Well, what we're seeing is that these more extreme members of the House and the Senate on both the liberal and conservative side, not only are they sharing more content, making themselves more visible, but the 
quality of the content that they're sharing seems to be kind of in the negative attack category, right? They're trying to get members riled up about the bad things that political opponents are doing. And we as people tend to, well, we gravitate more towards negative stories than positive stories. Say I'm a Republican. It's much easier for me to get on board with a fellow Republican's message that Democrats are bad than maybe that Republican's more nuanced message about why I should think the Republican Party and what this particular member within it is doing is good. So they're using some negative politics strategies in order to get more followers. Hey, negativity and getting lots of followers on social media? That all sounds totally crazy, right? No, it's pretty intuitive. And some of you may roll your eyes saying, what's the good of polls and science if they just tell us things that I was pretty sure I already knew? It's like, well, you were pretty sure, and now we have evidence. That's one of the interesting things about science, and particularly about political science. Basically, anything in the world is simple to understand once you know it, and once it's been explained to you. But the very fact that these types of relationships between ideological content and social media following are being studied means that this is the way that representation is moving in the United States. And I, for one, think it's very important that we continue to study it systematically. For more on the systematic study of politics and social media, you're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. Hey everyone, it's me, Ian Shapiro, your host for Politics Explained. I think that's about all the politics we're going to have time for today. If you're on Anchor, don't forget to favorite the station. Also, you can click that call-in button if you want to ask a question about American politics or join the discussion, given something that I've said in the day's episode, or maybe an episode past, you know, don't limit it to just the day. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, if you're on iTunes or Google Play, go ahead and, uh, subscribe so you can get, uh, you know, pretty much daily updates, uh, Basically, on weekdays, we update every day, usually with a 10 to 15 minute episode. Uh, On weekends, we usually have some kind of a clip show and then either a day off or a sixth show of the week. That's our general schedule, and I think that's the one that we've been able to keep to pretty efficiently. Uh, Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Stuff on Bannon. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll talk about probably whatever Trump tweets on. And of course, uh, we'll talk about his rally going on in Arizona. So there should be some interesting uh, takes on that. Uh, so I guess I'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Politics Explained. <laughs> Later.